0: Let me ask you now to open up to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, please feel free to use one of those provided uh, the seats in front of you. We're continuing to work our way verse by verse through the great eight, through this wonderful chapter that has meant so much to so many Christians over the centuries. This morning we'll be reading beginning in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 25, but our focus will be verse 23, so make special note of verse 23 as we read. Um, We're going to begin in verse 18, and this is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. With patience. Well dear friends, you and I are made of dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Man was made of the ground and to the ground we return at death. Yes, we are spiritual beings, but we are also physical beings and our physical bodies are part of this physical world. And our physical bodies are a part of this creation that is groaning under the curse. This creation we've studied the last two weeks that is longing for the day of resurrection, longing for the day when all things will be made new. Your body is a part of that. Our passage teaches us that Christians... Join all creation in longing for the great day to come, the day of resurrection. Our verse is not a command. Do you see that in verse 23? Verse 23 does not say, you shall groan inwardly and wait eagerly. Rather, it makes a statement of what is already true about you if you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, you know what it is to groan and to wait. So test yourself. Here is a wonderful moment of self-examination. Do you see in your own life this inward groaning, longing, this deep ache for the day to come when Jesus will split the skies when he will draw all people to himself and his people will be gathered from the four corners of the earth we will be made new we will walk new heavens new earth are you longing for that day Paul puts the emphasis on us as Christians he doesn't just say we he says we ourselves It's as if he says, yes, even us, even we who are Christians, even we who have been adopted by God, even we know what it is to groan under the sufferings of this world as we wait. Mount Hermon Christians have wonderful privileges in this life. We could spend this entire sermon just listing blessing after blessing, privilege after privilege that we have in Jesus Christ. But we're not yet in heaven. And this world has not yet been made new. And so, alongside all of these great privileges, is the reality that we still suffer, we still hurt. And we long for the day ahead. We do not believe in a health and wealth gospel. That is, we do not believe that when you come to Jesus, if you have enough faith, everything's going to be well with your life. No, the Bible teaches again and again that even those with strong faith should expect troubles in this world. And that we are to set our eyes on the world to come. We're studying three different groanings in Romans chapter 8. We've already seen the groaning of creation. Today we're going to look at the groaning of Christians. And then next week, verse 26, we'll see the groaning of the Holy Spirit. But this morning I want to unpack our verse, verse 23, using four points. And each of these points should be easy to see in the verse Really, all I'm doing is breaking this verse into four statements so that we can see more clearly what it teaches. It is a treasure chest, and we are opening it up, and we are going to pull out each of the jewels and the gems in this chest. And I hope your soul will leave here this morning more enriched with higher thoughts of God, greater longings for God, greater hope in your chest, to keep you going with faith in Christ as you endure whatever Monday might hold for you. The first truth I want you to see from verse 23 is this. Christians have the firstfruits of the Spirit. Do you see that? Christians have the firstfruits of the Spirit. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. What in the world does that mean? That we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Well, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, and I hope you are, you know that this idea of first fruits comes up often. Uh, the Jews celebrated the Feast of Firstfruits, also called Pentecost. Uh, during this feast, which took place at the beginning of the harvest, they would bring the first of the harvest and they would offer it in worship to God. These firstfruits were given to God to acknowledge that He was the one who ultimately gives them life and bread. These first fruits reminded Israel that God is worthy of the best. And so He got the first of the crops and it reminded them that God was to be first in their own lives. But this was also a celebration. It was a celebration because they knew that after the first fruits would come the rest of the harvest as God provided for his people. This was a, a gratitude celebration. The idea of first fruits is that there is going to be more fruit to come. Well, in our verse Paul speaks of the first fruits of the spirits. I take this to mean that the spirit has a harvest and we are called the first fruits of that harvest. You see, the Spirit's work is not as a farmer in a field or as a shepherd with livestock. No, the Spirit's work is to create new life. The Spirit's work is to take dead things, old things, decaying things, corrupt things, and to make them new. At the very beginning of creation, we have the Spirit hovering over the waters of the earth. And then from the waters of the earth come order and life by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. After the flood of Noah, when the whole earth has been destroyed by water again, we find the Spirit of God present over the waters. God sends out His breath, His Spirit, and suddenly the waters subside and there is life and there is newness again. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God comes upon the womb of Mary. And the result is that she conceives and gives birth to the Son of God. The Spirit's role is to give life. It's to make new. And one day, the Holy Spirit is going to fulfill the command of Christ. You see, Jesus, as the judge and ruler over all, He's going to come back to this earth. And by the Spirit, Jesus is going to make everything new. This earth is going to go through judgment first. This earth is going to be baptized by fire, as Peter says. But from the ashes, from the destruction, the Spirit, just like in Noah's flood, is again going to bring new life and new order. Heaven will come to earth. Death will be no more. This is what creation is waiting for. The day when the Spirit is going to make everything new. But He's already started making things new, hasn't He? Because you, as a Christian, have a new heart, you have a new soul, you are the first fruits of what is to come. How did you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Your heart of deadness, of corruption, of bondage was replaced with a new heart of life. You were reborn. First Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Yes, church, your body is still falling apart because your body is still part of this old creation, but not your soul. If you are a Christian, your soul has been made new. Your soul is the first fruits of the harvest that is to come when not only everything else in creation, but your body is going to be made new and perfect. The Spirit has already resurrected one human body and made it perfect. One. <laughs> and that's the body of Christ. Yes, Jesus raised Lazarus and others from the dead, but they died again. Their their bodies were still fragile and frail, but not Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus' resurrected body was made fit for streets of gold. Jesus' resurrected human body was made perfect for the new earth to come. And Corinthians tells us that Jesus' resurrected body was the firstfruits of the dead. In other words, his is first, Yours is going to follow. There's going to be a day when your body will be made right for walking streets of gold. Mount Hermon, I cannot imagine what that day will be like when all things are new. Can you imagine that day when Christ returns And suddenly from the ground, from that cemetery out there, from that little cemetery back there, out of the oceans, out of the furnaces, out of everything, human bodies are going to be put back together and resurrected. Souls that had departed to heaven or hell are going to be brought back and reunited with their bodies so that we will again be body and soul forever. The wicked will have bodies Now, fit for hell. And in body and soul, they will experience the judgment of God and hell forever. And that's what we deserve, isn't it? But we who have been saved by the grace of God will be given bodies fit for heaven. And in body and soul, we will experience the gracious love and blessing of God forever and ever. Your born again soul is the first fruits of that day number two notice in verse 23 that Christians groan inwardly and wait eagerly Christians groan inwardly and wait eagerly and these are the same words that that were used of creation in the verses that we've already studied the groaning is this inward anguish this deep longing the eager waiting speaks of being anxious for the day of resurrection to come. It's like children on Christmas Eve night, waiting so earnestly for Christmas morning. Do you remember that when you were a kid? Because I sure do. I remember one Christmas Eve in particular. I had my room was upstairs, and you just—I thought it's, the sun is never going to rise. It's just never going to rise. You just wait, and you wait. That's how Christians are to be waiting for the day of resurrection. When's it coming? When's it coming? Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. When's it coming? Now, what does this godly groaning, what does this waiting look like in the lives of Christians? Well, it is not to look like grumbling and complaining. (laughs) That's not the kind of groaning we're talking about. We are not to live each day grumbling about how messed up the world is or how terrible our government is or how society is speeding downhill, downhill fast. We're not to spend our days griping about our bodies falling apart. These things should sadden us, but we ought not to grumble and we ought not to complain. That's not the kind of groaning in view here. Nor does this groaning and waiting mean that Christians are to sit back and to do nothing. Nothing until jesus returns it doesn't mean we sit on our lazy boys and we watch our televisions and we say well we're just we're going to wait for jesus we're not going to do much in this world no this world is not our home but it is where we live and we are to seek the welfare of the people around us we are to be profitable servants of god right here right now When Jesus returns, he ought to find us busy, fulfilling our callings faithfully. But here is what godly groaning and waiting looks like in the life of a Christian. Often it looks like Christians singing songs like on Jordan's stormy banks. Or how great thou art, especially that last verse. Or Christians singing, the sands of time are sinking. You see, as Christians, we groan the way David did. We, we groan through song. Our singing makes our hearts long more for heaven. It's a, it's a pleasing pain as we sing about the heaven that is coming to us. It's as we hunger. And as we thirst more and more for heaven, we think more about heaven, we sing more about heaven, we pray more about heaven, we talk more about heaven, and the more we do that, the more we hunger and thirst. And our appetite for heaven just grows and grows. This is what it means to groan and wait in a godly way. We groan and we wait through prayer. We pray for Jesus to come back. We take our health concerns to the Lord and then we above all pray that Jesus will come back and free us from all health concerns. God fulfills his promises in response to prayer. Jesus said that his disciples would pray and fast for the bridegroom to return once he had left. Now that the bridegroom has left, now that Christ has gone to heaven, he says, My people are going to be praying and fasting for me to come back and set all things right. Is that you? Have you ever fasted for the return of Jesus, saying, This much, O Lord, this much? I long for you to come and make this world right. We groan and we wait as we feel the pool of our struggle with sin and the pool of worldliness. We groan inwardly as we watch others that we love turn to wicked ways. We see the oppression of the poor. We see justice being perverted, power being abused. We see good being called evil and evil being celebrated in the streets. We sense our own moral confusion. We sense our own struggle to make sense of this world and all of this hurries our hearts towards home. All of this makes us more and more homesick. How we want and long for the world to come to appear. We wait and we groan together as a family. This waiting and groaning is not just an individual experience. It is a corporate experience. We gather together to sing songs about heaven and to pray for Christ's return when we are fellowshipping with one another, when we're having pizza and game nights when we're hanging out with one another in our homes and we're talking after the service, we're to be encouraging one another with thoughts of heaven. Paul shared with the Thessalonians about all that's going to happen when Christ returns and then he said, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Mount Hermon, we are to be constantly encouraging one another by speaking to each other about home. Refugees in a foreign land may not speak much about their homeland to others, but when they get together with other refugees, what do they talk about? They talk about home. When we're out in the workplace, when we're out in our neighborhoods, we might start speaking of a new heavens and a new earth and people just look at us strange. What are you talking about? People's bodies being resurrected from all over the world. Are you a freak? Are you crazy? But when we come here and we're around our brothers and sisters in Christ who cherish these things and believe these things, we should talk about these things and encourage one another with these things. Romans 8, verse 18, should be constantly on our lips. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We ought to be quoting that verse to one another all the time. God uses sickness to help us here. If we were healthy all the time, if we were fully able to enjoy all that life offers, We might not think much about the life to come. Resurrection day doesn't seem all that great to us when we're doing great right here and right now. Remember, there are those seeds that fell among the thorns. They profess to love Jesus, but their hearts get so caught up in the right here, the right now, the stuff of this world, that they don't actually care that much for Christ. But God's people, towards them, he uses sickness, he uses suffering, he uses disappointment, he uses disillusionment, he uses pain to wean us off of this world, to help us see this world in its true colors. Dear friend, if God has brought much trouble into your life, If God has caused you to be disappointed and disillusioned with this world because of the suffering and the pain you're experiencing, you ought to thank Him. Because even in your sorrow, He is being gracious to you. It is better to hurt in this life and to have a heart longing for the life to come than to be satisfied in this life and to be disqualified from the life to come. Those who have their best life now are headed for a terrible future. But those who patiently endure hardship in this world while trusting Christ will find that their best life is yet to come. Praise God for your sicknesses and your hurts and your pains. They serve a good purpose in your life. Scotty Smith says this, Oh, for the glorious day, When there are no more tears to wipe and no more deaths to mourn. The day when everything sad comes untrue and everything broken will be ever new. The day when perpetual hellos will supplant every faithful, painful goodbye. The day when the only thing that will shock us and take our breath away will be greater, richer revelations of your love for us in Jesus. The day when we will no longer gather in sadness to bury our dead, but in gladness we will proclaim, Father, you have done all things well. You have made all things beautiful. You have made all things new. The day when our mourning will be turned to dancing, when our anger will be turned to laughter, when our knowing in part will become understanding in full. The day of no more sackcloth and ashes, only wedding garments and feasting. Hasten that day, Father. Hasten that day of renewal and restoration, regathering and resurrection. No more clenched fists, only raised palms. No more blank stares, only counting stars. No more funeral homes and graveyards, only a new heaven and a new earth. That's the groaning of a Christian's heart. We've seen that Christians have the first fruits of the Spirit and that they are groaning inwardly and that they're waiting eagerly. Let's quickly see the last two truths taught in verse 23. Our third is this. Christians are waiting for their adoption as sons. Do you see it? Verse 23. Christians are waiting for their adoption as sons to which you say now wait a minute justin didn't we spend like a whole month in january looking at the fact that we've already been adopted as sons didn't we live in verses 14 and 15 and 16 which speak of our adoption as a present reality yes we did and in a very real way All who believe in Jesus Christ are sons and daughters of God this very moment. But there is also a very real sense in which your adoption by God has yet to be finalized. It has not yet been fully realized. We do not yet bear fully the image of our Father. We do not yet look like our Father the way we will in heaven. There is still much about us that is ungodly. Amen? We have been adopted and yet we are not yet fit to come into our Father's house, into heaven. You see, we must have that holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Our bodies must be made new. These old creation bodies we're in right now would be incinerated in a moment if these bodies came into the presence of the holy, holy, holy God. In the courts of heaven, your adoption papers as a Christian, they have been signed, they have been sealed. You are God's child. In your own heart, God's Spirit has come to you. He is shedding abroad in your heart the knowledge of God, faith in God, the experience of God's love. Dear Christian, you have a real relationship with your Father right now. And yet, though you can approach Him in a spiritual sense right now through prayer, you cannot approach God physically right now. You cannot. Your soul can come into the holy of holies through prayer, but this body of yours cannot come into the presence of God. Only after the resurrection will, be, will we be able to truly come into the holy of holies, heaven itself, which will have come to this earth. Then you will live physically in God's special presence forever. And then you will have entered fully into the blessings of your adoption. Here's another way of thinking about this. Your adoption will be full and complete when you are like your elder brother, Jesus Christ. Already you're becoming like him in your soul, and on the day you die, Jesus is going to finish that work in your soul of making you like him. Unless Jesus comes back first, your soul is going to go to heaven, because it's ready. But your body is not when you die. Your new creation soul will get to experience heaven. Your old creation body is going to be lying in the dirt. But on the day Jesus comes back, your soul is going to come back with Him. And then we have 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. All Christians who have died... Many of us have grandmothers, grandfathers, great-grandmothers, great-grandfathers who died in Christ. Their bodies are in the ground, but their soul is going to return with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be like Christ in their souls, and then their bodies are going to be resurrected and perfected to be like the image of the body of Christ. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Dear Christian, on the day you die, Jesus will complete the work of making your soul perfect. But it is on the great resurrection day that your body will be made perfect soul and body reunited and you will be like your elder brother. You will be like your Savior forever and your adoption will be complete. Final truth, verse 23. Therefore, Christians are waiting for the redemption of their bodies. Christians are waiting for the redemption of their bodies. What does this word redemption mean? To redeem something means to receive it at a cost. A price must be paid. On the last day, the redemption of your body will be complete. But when was the price paid? 2,000 years ago. The actual receiving of perfected, glorified bodies is not going to come to pass until Jesus comes back. But the price of your perfected, glorified body was paid on the cross. This is so helpful and this is so wonderful because we often talk about Jesus dying for our souls. And that's wonderfully true. But how often do we talk about Jesus dying for our bodies? Yet He did. He died for you, Christian, and you're not just a soul. You're also a body. When Jesus died on the cross, He died not only to save your soul, but your body. He died that your head, that your arms, that your legs, that your fingers, that your toes will one day be glorified. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Right? It's all going to be perfected. It's all going to be glorified. Your God is a God who cares for you 100%. He overlooks nothing in His love for you. He meets the needs of the soul, but He does not neglect the needs of your body. He feeds your soul through the Word, but He makes sure you have your daily bread as well. Jesus has rescued your soul from hell, and dear Christian, He has also rescued your body. Glory in this truth. It is helpful and it is wonderful. So how should you respond to God's word this morning? What is your response to verse 23? Well, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this verse should call you to Christ. Children, let this verse call you to Christ. Young people, old people, let this verse call you to Christ. It's only by trusting Jesus, following Him, giving your allegiance to Him that this verse is true of you. Your heart will have no true longings for heaven until your heart has fallen in love with Jesus Christ. God would have you be His now if you're going to be His in heaven. Do not put off coming to Christ. Follow Jesus. Seek to be baptized in His name. Commune with Him through the Word and prayer. Be a part of a healthy church. Unbelievers, there's no reason to go to hell when heaven is offered to you. Don't neglect so great a salvation, a salvation of body and soul. Christians, let this sermon incline your heart a bit more towards heaven. Let this sermon cause you to long with greater eagerness for the resurrection day ahead. Let Sundays be more precious to you now because it's on this day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, guaranteeing your own future resurrection. Anytime your body hurts on a Sunday, you should remember this is temporary. My resurrection day is coming and Jesus' resurrection proves it. And that's why we meet on Sunday and not Saturday, is to remember that. Sickness and sorrow and struggles, they should be a little less difficult for us now because the sting in our sorrows has been taken out. We now see that even these are being used by God to help us groan and long in a godly way for the day to come. Are you suffering now? Are you in a period of deep hurt right now? Pray for God to help you, certainly. But pray most of all for the coming of Christ. Pray for God's grace to sustain you now, even to heal you now. But also pray that you would learn the lesson of the trial. And the lesson is this. This world is not so great. Long for the world to come when you will be with your Savior forever. Well, finally, let all of us who are Christians rest secure in the love of God. Know that you are safe, body and soul, that you are protected by His fatherly care. Put away all anxiety. Put away all anxiety. Put away all anxiety, all fear, all distress. You are in good hands. You know the end of the story. Your God is trustworthy. Rest in Him and find peace. Amen? Let's pray.